G'day and welcome to Cinema Nova's podcast, Meet the Filmmaker, recorded live in cinema. On today's episode, we have film writer Tom Ryan talking with the director Matthew Saville and actors John Clark and Anthony LaPaglia, all talking real estate, family and golf swings for the new Australian film, A Month of Sundays. Congratulations on the film. Thank you. Where's the title come from? The short answer is I just I just sort of had a ring to it, you know, I just looked nice. Long answer is month of Sundays. What is a month of Sundays? Is it four days or if the month begins with a Sunday it could be five? Or is it <laughs> short answer was pretty good, Matt. Yeah. I thought we're it really, went well. We were really into the short answer. No, but is it, or, you know, is it 30 days or 31 or 28 if it's February or 29 if it's a leap year? It's like, it's an indeterminate amount of time. It wasn't really an ontological question. I know. Anyway, that's life. Life, you don't know how long it is, and I don't know how long a month of Sundays is, and that's why. Thanks for interrupting, John. He's trying to be pointed. I had a great nap during that. Thank you. That was good. The phrase month of Sundays I've heard my whole life. I didn't really know what it meant, other than I thought it meant this was terribly long. That's what I thought. Month of, oh, I've, I've that, been in... that is correct. If this is democratic, we're looking pretty good here. Yeah, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, John, help me out here. Yeah. He just did. Um, That's what I thought it meant. I don't know. Let's throw it to the What do you think? What does it mean? Yes, we have... Have some offering. A month of long, leisurely days. So you're with Anthony and me, aren't you? Because Sunday's a leisurely day. Not much happens. Well, in the movie. <laughs> Julia Blake dies. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay. No, no. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, Matt, you've had, had a shot at that. Can I ask uh, Anthony and, and uh, John, what appealed to you about the idea, the script, when you first read it? Um, I'd worked with Anthony before, uh, some years ago, um, uh, sorry, not Anthony, Matt, sorry. I'd worked with Matthew before and he, when he was writing this film, uh, I knew he was writing it and, um, we talked a little bit about it. Uh, I wouldn't have been the only person he spoke to. He has a pretty open creative process, but I was familiar with this. And then when I read the, let's call it finished script, um, which will be finished soon, I'm sure. Um, uh, I thought that there were aspects of it that were very interesting and slightly unusual as the subject of a of a movie. Um, and he asked me to be in it, and I said, "Yeah, that'd be good." And I and I'd I'd never met Anthony before, and and here I was in a film with a you know, proper actor uh, who's had some training and knows what he's doing and has plenty of experience. And, 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 and Anthony did a, a, a thing that, that I later came to think of was really very clever. And he just told me before, he'd never done it before. I thought it must have been his standard method. He started emailing me before we met as Frank. And, and I was Philip. So before we met... We had a bit of a grip on how the other one worked and how a relationship that was neither quite us nor the one in the film 
was negotiable. So I think we were both quite confident about trusting one another and that turned out to be a very smart instinct of his. In fact, he, he sent an email to you two days ago asking for his old job back. He did. And, and he said, I'd just come back from Tibet. And uh, Frank had come back from Tibet, was disillusioned by the cuisine and, uh, of Tibet and the austere nation, uh, the austere um, nature of um, life in Tibet, too quiet. Um, and so I asked for my job back. That's right. It keeps going on. And I have, I have expressed some concern about the containers of artefacts that we've received from Tibet, which the South Australian police assure me are full of white powder. And I'm a little bit wary of going down there to check. I would never have implicated you, John. <laughs> there was something about the relationship on the page between our characters. And I don't know, I just thought one night it might be fun just to write this uh, email to John, I never met him, and kind of test the waters and see if he'd actually respond right back, this is really fucking weird, don't write to me again. But he, he wrote back the funniest response and from that point on it became like a, 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 um, a comp not a competition, but it became like a real challenge to match the humour and the wit that would come back my way. But by doing that, we, we kind of we established this rapport. So that by the time we got to the set, I kind of had a, if we hadn't met, I had a sense of, I like this person. And, uh, and, and often in films you get to a set and uh, your introduction to an actor is, uh, all right, we're five minutes away from shooting. Uh, this is your cast member, hello, how are you? And action. And they want you to have a fully fledged relationship. And that takes time to have, so you have a natural chemistry on, um, on screen. And, and, and uh, it actually turned into a really entertaining pastime for me, which yeah, to me come too, up right? with the most bizarre scenarios and, and uh, try and challenge Philip. It was very good fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I'd like to put them into a book, I think. It's that moment of excitement when you see them that you hear, bing! <laughs> <laughs> right, we're in for some fun. So how much of that this... That was a relief for me because, I mean, you know, the moment that you guys were on set and I could immediately, you know, within nanoseconds see that you were already jonesing for one another and I thought, well, I don't have to do any directing today, that's fine. Yeah. You know, you can kind of like just... It was quite... A, I didn't have to kind of go, oh, just pretend you're friends, you know? Like, you already were. And that's the toughest thing in, with acting sometimes is to establish a relationship that looks believable on screen. You know, it not it's hard to be introduced to this woman who's an actress who's playing your wife that you've been married to for 20 years and have instant chemistry. And often in films, there just isn't the time or the resources to have actual rehearsal. Like if you do theatre, you have a month in which you rehearse every day and you discover the material, discover the other actors and you get a feel for, you build that relationship. Film these days especially, so kind of instantaneous. And I think that a lot of people that make films now 
not in a, a mean or negative way, I don't think they really understand the process of acting. And they think that um, when you're an actor, you're like an instant performer and you can just do it anywhere. It's just not like that. Um, it requires a certain amount of information and knowledge and um, uh, understanding of the characters that you're playing. And until you actually work with the actor, you have no idea what they're gonna give you. you know, you'll read the script and you'll interpret the other part the way you see it. And then an actor comes in and turns it on its head and presents something to you that's so unique and that's the exciting part. You want to go with that. But that's a hard relationship to establish very quickly. What's your view of this, Matt, Matthew? Um, I mean, when, when somebody comes in and plays around with your words um, and with the structure of your script, how do you feel about that? Um, when it's these guys, I don't mind, you know. And, and in fact, probably, you know, the best stuff in there is them mucking around. When John is talking to Sigmund Freud and asking how many bedrooms. That wasn't scripted, that was... Well, nobody said cut. No one said cut. So who, whose idea was it about the, um, uh, the, the phone call from Freud? Is that in the script or did that yeah, come no, from John? The phone call did come from script. Freud. That, yeah. no, that's true. That's in the script. So but, you build on that. But mm. John decided to talk to Freud about how many bedrooms he yeah. was looking for. The, the other thing to say um, about and, that... And, and, sorry, Anthony, but uh, John. Anthony came up with a... like, And I think it's my favourite line in the film. Is And, and not because it's a great line, but it just... It kind of just lands the film for me and lands the character. Uh, is that last little bit where you're, you say, go in and, and, and tell your wife that you bought a house. Yeah. Go and do your twinkle fingers yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. That was you. You did that. In fact, in the rehearsal, it wasn't Twinkle Fingers. You, you in the rehearsal, it was Lobster Fingers. <laughs> and You've I got went, to play around with it before you hit the right. And I was like, Lobster Fingers is a bit harsh. It's can a bit we, harsh. Can we soften that somehow? And that was that was you that did that. And it's like it's it's a thing that a great actor has where they. And what I really admire about the, Lawrence Kasdan, one of my favourite directors, and the reason why he's a director is because he's a shit actor. I'm sorry, I said I said the S word. That's that's why he became a director, though, because he couldn't act, and but he became a great performance director. And he said something which really kind of resonates with me, where he said he he admires actors because in the same way that like other people admire athletes, they're people that can do with their bodies things that normal people can't do. And and that's express emotion, you know. Um, and and I feel that way. I'm not I'm not doing I'm saying this just because I've got a microphone and we're in front of a whole bunch of people. I do actually feel this way. You've actually said this I said this to me personally, so yeah, fine. Yeah, I, I told you before how much I liked you. And, um, you know, that, that, that twinkle fingers thing wasn't something that I, as a writer, could have come up with. And you, you put it there and it, land, and it just landed the film for me. And here's why. Because this is a film about redemption, but you made it a film about partial redemption, that you can't kind of cure it overnight. You know, you, you, you are, you know, as a friend of mine said to be, people change, but not that much. You, you know, you, 
It's can... like an improvement. It's, yeah. it's, it's incremental. Some forward movement for that character. And in the script, it was far more straightforward. It was like, oh, Frank's a heck of a nice guy. And then you, but you put twinkle fingers in, and it was like, oh. He's not that. <laughs> well, lobster fingers. <laughs> the other really thing would have is... cemented Frank's, you know, horrible nature. But the, the other thing about that is, yes, you come up with this stuff, but you have to work with people who are receptive to it. You can be in a similar situation. Uh, every director and writer is different. Some people are very married to the material and don't want you to deviate. Even if you come up with something, I always call them happy accidents. You'll be doing the scene, you mess around, and then this thing happens. And I always find the best directors are the ones that go, I love that, I didn't even see that, but yes, let's go with that. You need to have that environment where it's accepted and not resisted because it, you know, it comes under the heading of not invented here. So, um, and that's, having uh, a director or a writer be open to changes of the material is actually quite rare. So that stuff only exists because of a collaboration between everyone. It's not hard for me though. I mean, it's like, you know, I sort of just go, well, you know, John Clark come, came up with that. It's fine. It's fine for me, you know, and you've won, you've won a Tony Award. So it's like, it's fine. I know, but it doesn't, you know, I've had people tell me two minutes after I won a Tony Award, shut up, say your lines. It, it, it just, you need a receptive environment. And the thing about films that I love is that at its best, it's this collaboration, not just between the director, the actors, the writer, it's every member of the crew. There's no one, no one's job is more important or less important than the other. Everybody, if everybody does their job right and they really are invested in the, the thing that they're doing, my experience is the film is always better. Always better. But if you, if you have a caste system, and I mean that in the Hindu, Indian sense, where there's a, where there's a, a hierarchy, and this is actually more common in the United States, where the crew is actually told not to speak to the actors. Like, you know, they're some kind of deity and don't talk to them or upset them. And I always think that's ridiculous because it is truly a collaborative um, art form and everybody has to do their job for it to work right. Can I ask you all, because a lot of hard work goes in before all this can happen, before you can be loose about it, what kind of research did you do for the script and did um, Anthony and John do for the roles that you were playing? My, my dad's a real estate agent, so I grew up with one. You know, that was the research for me. Um, you know, because you know, I've got four sisters and I couldn't play netball, so... I was the one that sat with Dad at open inspections and <laughs> sat in empty houses looking at like this big lug and baggy suit. And so is there family history in the film? Yes. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite a bit. You actually wrote this for them. I, I, I wrote it for Dad. I wrote it... I, I actually wrote it for my, both of my parents. My mum's a... You know, she was an English teacher and, 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 and taught... taught Greek kids, you know, as you know, English is a second language, and and, and Dad sold real estate, and and I always felt that like real estate agents had, you know, had a, a pretty bad rap, 
you know, in film and television, they they always get sort of you know represented as shysters. And I, I didn't. Gary Glenn Ross. Yeah, I love that film, but um, but I just didn't see my old man that way. He was just this kind of like you know guy that was trying to raise his kids and earn a living and 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 help people find a place to raise their kids. And that was that was his you know. It's not a bad person just because he's a real estate agent. It's like, you know, oh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> did, did he give you this stuff on on set? Did he? What, what, was that part of? You met him. You met the old man. Yeah, both I, of you. Yeah, yeah. I, I met him. I, I thought your father's response to the film when he saw it and everything that oh, that's not me. I don't look anything like that. I don't look like anything like that. He yeah. doesn't. You know, looks like Matt. And I was like, no, Dad, you were wearing a safari suit. <laughs> And they hadn't invented mobile phones, you know, when you were doing it. No, but I think the reason that you made the film for your parents is interesting. That basically, like your mother was actually quite critical of the language in, say, felony. She didn't like all the expletives and she would complain, Matthew, why do you have to use such language in your films? Yeah, we we, we paid to send you to a good school, you know. (laughs) I think it's really sweet that he actually made a film that his parents would want to see and wouldn't have to be banned from the bridge club for a month because of the language. (laughs) Sort of. I mean, yeah. Like, you know, mum saw Noise, for example, and she said, I'm really proud of you. You know, you've you've made this film. But all she could say was that that it had evocative cinematography because everything else she didn't really like about it, you know. It's like too much violence, too much swear words and stuff. And I didn't... And I completely understood that and, and, and I did, yeah. I absolutely did want to make, 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 make a film for them, you know, that they would, they would like. And it's in, in, in some ways about them, in some ways. And it's about, it's about you know, how I see them. As as humanists, you know, they they raise me to like people and and and, and be kind whenever I can be, and um, you know, quite often that you know you can't be, but but you, you you try to be and and make a film about that to my parents. Help me out here. No, no, <laughs> no. I, I just wanted to see how long you would go till it just ran out. I just. I think I think one of the interesting things about the film, and it was obvious in the script, um, was that, is that there are certain there are several different sorts of language in the film. The film begins with a voiceover using real estate language, which is almost uh, Frank's life is so non-functional it's almost reduced to that just being on a kind of loop tape in his head, which we come to understand. He then has a uh, relationship with with uh, uh, with Philip, which is l- very performative and actually rather trivial. There's care underneath the very bottom of it, but you've got to dig down a fair way to get to it. And one of the interesting questions in the film for me is whether or not in seeking the relationship with Sarah, Frank is recognising that as an opportunity to be honest with the only person he can be honest with, which is someone he doesn't know. And all of these things have sub-languages. 
and yet the language in the film is relatively seamless because it's nicely written. But I think there are quite a lot of sub-languages in the film. And in fact, real estate is a fair metaphor for a sub-language because, you know, you find, if you're buying a house, you find yourself in conversation with people and you hear things coming out of your own face that you can't believe. <laughs> you're beginning to pick it up. I remember, can I just relate a little story from the, from the family album? Um, Dad had a, um, this big rambling house that he was really trying to get off the market and it was like five bedrooms and it was crumbling at the seams and, you know, it's just one of those big rambling rambling properties and he was, he was trying to write the copy. I think I learned everything about writing from, from the copy that my dad wrote um, for, for real estate for years. In fact, we still bring this up. He put this on a board in front of his house. <laughs> Awake a sleeping giant. <laughs> it's good work, Dad. <laughs> yeah, it is good work. There's actually a website that goes with the film, isn't there, which I've, I've ventured into. Um, everything we touch turns to soul. Find it at philiplangrealestate.com and it's really is, worth going to. Which is a technical expression meaning Matthew's therapy. Yeah. Yes. No, but there's a fridge magnet. Do we have... Michael, can, oh, yeah. We have a fridge magnet with a picture of you on it. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, yes, we're actually starting to actually... Um, we've acquired some properties. And um, <laughs> we've actually figured out we can make a better living in real estate yeah. than we can as actors. Indeed. And uh, so we're getting into the business. No, here's the, here's the, the Philip Lang real estate fridge magnet... <laughs> Have you seen one of those? I have seen yeah. one of those. Yeah. And we've got stationery as well. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> people say you can't market Australian films. Oh, of course you can. can. <laughs> now, I was asking about the research that you've done uh, for the film. And I'm interested in uh, how much work went into two shots in particular in the film. One has you demonstrating your golfing skills with a bit of a slice. Yeah. You're a bit of a golfer. Not at all. No? I'm absolutely you? not a golf person. Don't care about... I know John loves golf. And it, and I think... I've never said this before. I think you were slightly annoyed that after... Like, I went up to take my first swing at it and totally scuffed it. And then I just uh, remembered something somebody said about it. Just um, as you swing, as you swing back, just... Remember where the ball was, breathe, and just go loose with your arm. Now, of course, if you look at me playing golf in the film, my form is total shit. But I kept whacking them, like, every time over the, you know, over the hill. And I was much pleased with myself. And I could see John going, that's not... I wasn't, that's, I wasn't, he wasn't angry. He was just like, that's not... I, was, I must say I was amazed. I said, <laughs> because you... Because uh, Anthony, had, Anthony had to hit a ball onto a green, it was a par three, so it's about twice the length of this room, <laughs> and it was up a hill, and he, and they said, right, oh, action, and Anthony hit, a, he, he had a go at hitting the ball, he, he put a sort of swimming pool sized dent in the earth about a foot behind the ball, and he looked and at I couldn't me hear and he said, the I'm, whole... I'm sorry, he said, <laughs> I'll get this right in a minute. Hmm? I just remember the whole crew collectively groaning. Going, oh, this is going to be a really long <laughs> That's <right>. day. <laughs> That's right. 
And he said... Because we, we've got to get the plane to come back around. And... He had another couple of goes and then he stopped and he said, it's all right, I'll be able to do this. And he then hit, I promise you, six consecutive shots onto the green. And I said to him, well, how did you do that? And he said, I stopped pretending to be a golfer and just hit the ball. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, I was trying to do a golf swing. What am I doing trying to do a golf swing? I hate golf. I'm not interested in golf. I'm never going to be able to have a thing that looks like a golf swing. The job was to hit the ball up, up, up there. I know I can do that. And I said, in that case, if you can't do a golf swing, how did you know you could do that? He said, I've got good eye-hand coordination. I know I can hit a ball. And I thought, that's a brilliant thing to know. <laughs> because he hit it up there and it, he, he's... Bad-mouthing his own golf swing. It didn't look like a, you know, Jason Day, but it was a pretty good-looking golf swing. And a succession of balls landed on the green. They were all sitting there when we went up there. And he said, no, and I was amazed by this. And I said, uh, so explain that to me again. He said, well, for example, all these balls are on the green. Get me a putter, will you, please? So somebody handed him a putter and he hit a couple of them towards the hole and they went nowhere near the hole. And then he said, watch this. And he kicked the other four and they all ended up very close to the hole or in the hole. And I said, what's that about? And he said, I know I can kick a ball. <laughs> so we had then had one of the most interesting discussions I've ever had in my life, lasted about four days, about instinct yeah. and, and discovering instinct in physicality, in sport, when you're quite young, and then using that same instinct in everything else you do in life. It, it, yeah, there's. Two, uh, I grew up with it in my whole world with sport. That's kept me well, somewhat out of trouble, and 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 was the reason I got up in the morning. But I found that the practical application, not so much the physical, but the mental, of athletes that you love, you love them because they make it look effortless. The only way they make it effortless, there's two, two reasons. Some of it's natural skill. Most of it is a tremendous amount of effort and practice. It's practice, 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 practice. And when I was an athlete, I was obsessed. So I just constantly worked on those things and, and developed really good hand-eye coordination and then realized, well, this applies to just about everything. Just, it's when you have the picture in your head of what you think something should look like, that's where you go wrong. And the minute you get that out of your head and go, just be you, be a horrible golfer but hit the ball, it suddenly works. But it, it's, it, it did, we did have a four-day conversation about instinct after that. And uh, it really was like, no offence, one of the highlights of the movie. It was, it was a <laughs> and, uh, fantastic no, conversation. You're quite right. It was, I, think it's, I think it was your best work right there. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, it was um, fascinating. I mean, for me, the most moving scene in the film is the one in the car where um, uh, gets a hug. your dad has been talking to Sarah about um, what oh. happened mm. uh, and she discovers what your character couldn't. Yeah, and you're right. sitting in the back mm. and watching it and, you know, we're left, the camera just, the three mm. of you are in shot and we're, we're wondering what's going through your head, what you're understanding. Um, and I found that a really moving scene. Mm. Um, 
And that was, was so can, they are can we acknowledge Julia and her performance well, in that yeah, scene? She was, she, um, she, you know, yeah. she was amazing. It's not all about men. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she she totally brained that one. Um, Again, I go back to <clears throat> you're only as good as the person you're playing with. The better the actor is that you're up against, the more you rise to the occasion. And not out of a competitive nature, you're challenged. You're challenged to um, reevaluate your, as an actor, your perceptions of um, what you think your character is and what you think their character is. And then they show you something that you hadn't kind of considered before, and it ups the stakes. And that's when it gets more interesting. The number one, like I was always taught, the number one lesson in acting, and I think it applies to life too, is when something happens, don't resist. Don't go, no. Let it happen. See what happens. And, and it's very true in acting. If you resist, the, 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 the chance for something kind of magical to happen disappears with that. And it's too rigid. And, uh, and I think your ability to kind of, I've said this before, but acting's not rocket science. It's actually quite simple. It's about listening. And often when I'm watching a film, I'm more interested in watching the person who's reacting than the person talking. Because their reaction is actually, if they're really listening. And the beautiful thing about film is that um, it's a visual medium and you can convey with the, you know, the lift of an eyebrow with a, a slight, you know, inflect, uh, uh, without dialogue, uh, you know, um, the flick of an eye, you can convey a whole message. And that's one of the things I love about it. it it's not cerebral, it's visceral. And it, it, that's what makes it really, um, makes it challenging. A thing about it, and this is just like a tiny thing, tiny, it's probably meaningless, but um, John was very kind and came in and had a look at a few cuts of the film while we were, Ken, Ken and I were, were you know, trying to assemble it and, 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 and tidy it up and put it together. And so he's in the scene, obviously, and he's in the front seat of the car, and so he didn't know what, what Anthony was doing in that scene. And I remember you saw the shot and it's this three shot, and you were in the back seat. And I remember you asking me, did you ask Anthony to sit crooked like that in the back seat? And I was like, no, I didn't even notice that he was doing it. And you said, it's just perfect. Just the way he's sitting so crooked in the back seat like that, it's just perfect. I metaphor for real estate agents, no, <laughs> it's not true. I should throw this open to audience question. I'd like to congratulate you on a wonderful film. I'm a land rat and have been it most of my life. I think you guys should play this as a training film at the Real Estate Institute because, boys, this is how you're going to finish up. <laughs> so I, I think the theme that I identify with, that people in property, I'm not going for sympathy vote here, but you get so immersed in other people's lives, you worry about everybody else, and you just lose focus, and that's why you'll see real estate agents have a high divorce rate. You just get so immersed in this conveyor belt of other people's problems. And I think that this film really, I appreciate your dad was a real estate agent, but 
I just I, I can identify it so well that when you open up with the shallowness of open houses, the theatre of an auction, all that sort of mumbo jumbo that it just goes on, and that all of a sudden you're confronted with uh, Anthony, uh, the death of your mother. I hate to say it, but this I identify with it totally, and I think um, it's this um, the theme of a shallow life. Um, and then all of a sudden the human element comes in with a, a death of a mother or as uh, John's um, father. I, I think it's a great film and I, I think the thread that ran through it, um, but again, I suggest you just do a letterbox drop and get all the agents to come and see it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's Thanks. Really That's nice. amazing. Thank you. Thank you. You know, just um, to, to kind of add to that, to that theme, I think it's also this thing that happens with a lot of people in life. You know, where you end, when you're 18 uh, and then suddenly you're 30 and then suddenly you're 40 and there reaches a point, I think, in everyone's life where they go, I'm not sure how I got here. Like, what happened between 18 and 25 that led to this? And is this really the rest of my life? And it happens incrementally. It's like, it, it's not often a huge, like, uh, catastrophic event happens so subtly that suddenly you're in a place that you never envisioned that you'd be. And you can't find a way out, in a way. You get lost. And I find that's true of a lot of people, that they end up with a life that wasn't the one they thought they were going to have. Sometimes it's better, but often it, it, it didn't meet the expectation that they had when they were young. And... It, it, I find that part of the human condition really interesting, always. is like, how do people end up where they are? Just by way of example, um, a few years ago I was doing a film and it was nighttime, it was in Los Angeles and I was sitting on the steps and this homeless guy came and sat next to me and he asked me for a cigarette and I gave it to him and we started talking. And this whole life, he opened up that, it was this most incredible thing that had happened to this man they had got him to the street as a homeless man in Los Angeles. He, he basically, the short story is he was, um, uh, he worked in um, uh, a stockbroker. Um, he had a wife, two kids, but this was uh, a, long, uh, a long while ago before they had recognized narcolepsy as a real disease. And he started suffering from narcolepsy and falling asleep at work, got fired. Uh, that led to his wife and kids leaving him. That led to this, and I realized, listening to this man, and, and I really believe the story was true, that um, it, we're all kind of two events away, really, from being homeless. We don't realize how close we are sometimes. We feel secure because we have a house and a car and this. It doesn't take much to take some of that away. And enough of it goes away, you're suddenly in a whole place you never thought you would be. And I just remember sitting with that guy and thinking, it's so life so precarious. And that's what I loved about the script. The one thing I kept thinking about when I was reading Frank was, what did he, what did he think he was going to be like when he was 20? And what does he think of like where he is now? And all I could think of, if I'm Frank, I'd be constantly going, how, how did I become this guy? It, yeah, he kind of acknowledges it when he talks to Damien at the end. 
you know, towards the end, and he says, "You don't want to be me when you grow up, do you?" You know, <laughs> it's kind of like it's this, yeah. Um, it's the first step, but look, it's it, it, that's a wonderful comment, sir. And I look, and and you know, as the son of a real estate agent, and I love my dad and everything, and I know, you know, these land rats. I mean. He missed, he missed a lot of netball matches and a lot of, of hockey games because he was sitting in an empty house. And that was an image that I was really keen to make sure was in the film, was this guy in a baggy suit on the weekend in an empty house, you know, away from his family. Was that? I left your father out of that. <laughs> um... But yeah, no, it's it's hard for for land rats because you know they do spend they work on the weekends, you know, that's when they do most of the work. Thank you, sir. Got a question here. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, great film. Congrats. Um, I was just wondering, especially from a filmmaker's point of view, why you chose to shoot so many continuous shots and so many scenes done in that one continual shot, and why why you open it up to have so many two shots or three shots that actually lasted for the entirety of the scene and how that was from an actor's point of view and also the choice to present that for the film and what that kind of, from your point of view or maybe what you felt after, how that actually progressed the, the film for you guys. Matt, you go first. Um, the, the film sort of referencing some... You know, in a sense, some some films that I really admire from like a a long time ago, um, like um, Terms of Endearment, and you know, some Lawrence Kasdan films and James L. Brooks films and, and things like that were just very um, intimate dramas um, and weren't about this sort of you know showiness or you know cinematic excrescences of you know doing these cutting rhythms or um, that that sort of thing. The other thing was that the last comedy that I worked on prior to this was Please Like Me and we did a lot of coverage, you know, because it was verbal comedy. So it was like that shot, that shot, that shot, that So that we could, in the edit, tweak it and tweak the rhythm of it and make the comedy work. And I was really keen to see whether or not, and for better or worse, I could work without a net, you know, and ask these, and I, and I knew I had this cast, that could work without the net and get the comic timing and the rhythm of it done in situ, in camera, in shot, in real time, because, you know, the, the idea of doing that thrilled me. Yeah. <laughs> and as an actor also, I, I think um, sometimes cut, cutting, you know, cutting to a close-up, it, it kind of it kills the rhythm and it also kills... The, there's a lot to be said for the panorama and body language, and you miss that. So I like movies that are shot in like long twos or you know. Um. The film's about two things as well, which is like isolation and connection, and that's what a wide shot can do because you can put like a lonely, you know, well, there you like go, a, that figure there, and that's isolation. You put two people in the same frame in a wide shot, and that's connection. You know. Well, it's like the, the, the famous David Lean shot of, in the Lawrence of Arabia. You've got Omar Sharif, got a tiny little huge screen, huge right. desert, and there's a little black uh, you know, uh, figure on a camel 
going across the screen. And it's such a brave choice. But you watch it and you get immediately the vastness of, you know, the Arabian uh, desert. And you get this, uh, and this is a sense of foreboding because this little black, this thing has this purpose moving across the screen. And we were it doing that in Adelaide. So, but yeah, I know. <laughs> that, but it's just an example of, you know, there's lots of ways to convey, you know, information in a scene. And it doesn't always necessarily, the most interesting choice isn't going to the talking head. That body language and proximity and... Um, your environment informs, as an actor, it informs how the scene plays. You could play one scene, uh, you know, uh, a basement, same scene out in a green pasture, they will play differently because the environment should inform what's happening. John, can I ask you a question? Like, this is... You wait still. Oh. <laughs> I, like, I can answer that question by saying I know virtually nothing about film grammar, but it's a wonderful thing... In a, in a film to shoot uh, in a fluent way so that you're not shooting a line cut, line cut, so that you can get a feeling for the scene, you can get a feeling for the rhythm in the language and the rhythm in the performance and imagine how it sits in the film and actually do it the way that you think it ought to be done. And that's collaborative and it's such fun. And sometimes um, when the... Uh, creative process isn't quite so open. You feel a bit imprisoned by a sort of micro-methodology. And so just from my ignorant point of view, it was a terrifically good way to work. And the film was made very quickly. Um, uh, 20 days, I think, it was shot, which is fast. And it had a terrific cast and not a very big, not a huge number of people. And... Um, I think all of those things made people confident and a bit relaxed. And so when you were in a scene, you got a handle on what the scene was, how it's supposed to work, how it's supposed to join up to the thing that preceded it and the thing that's following it. So that's great. I mean, I'm so dumb I can only understand things at a sort of a narrative level. So I don't know, I don't know whether something's being shot as a three-shot or a two-shot or something. The DOP on this thing made every effort to deal with my remedial incapacity to understand these things and he'd show me these shot sizes on an iPhone and he would show me these things and I'd be thinking, I've got a feeling that's an iPhone. I'm getting the wind up. Uh, look, I, I think we should thank our, our three wonderful guests. This podcast was produced by me, Patrick Bridges. A special thanks to Mad Men Films and Cinema Nova. A Month of Sundays is out April 28th.